Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 342 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked with Tiffany Graves in our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech series. She was a fantastic guest, and you should listen to the interview if you haven't already. In this episode, we have another very special guest in our Fresh Voices series. In Fresh Voices, we want to showcase different and compelling perspectives on legal tech and on other topics as well. We have another fabulous guest. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're thrilled to continue our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech interview series with Ivy Gray, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at Wordrake, one of the ABA Legal Technology Resource Center's Women of Legal Tech, and a whole lot more. We want our Fresh Voices series to not only introduce you to terrific leaders in the legal tech space, but also provide you with their perspective on the things in technology you should be paying attention to. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we are so pleased to welcome Ivy Gray to the Fresh Voices series. Ivy, welcome to the Kennedy Mall Report. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a dream to be on this podcast, so I'm glad I finally get to do it. Uh, I'm blushing. You can't see, but I am blushing. Before we get started, um, can you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, your role as Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at WordRake, and how you got there, maybe? Sure. So I practiced corporate bankruptcy law and restructuring for 10 years. And before that, I was in advertising and public relations. And WordRake is clear and concise editing software for lawyers. And I used it in my legal practice for three years before joining the team. And that's where I absolutely fell in love. And about five years ago, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And this is usually where I joke that not only am I the president of Hair Club for Men, I'm also a client. Uh, (laughs) I absolutely use the product every day, and it's just something that I can't even imagine living without. So now I'm the chief strategy and growth officer at WordRake, and in my role as CSO, my goal is to grow the company. That doesn't mean generating demand or selling to anyone whose attention I can grab. It really means demonstrating a need, educating people about that need, then helping people build the foundation to grow and change so that I can solve their problem long-term, hopefully using WordRake. And in this role, I'm looking for something bigger than a sale. I'm going for change. So there are no scripts. I've got to be ready to meet customers wherever they are. And that means that I have to know about all of my favorite things, like technology competence, how Word works, how to analyze and optimize workflows. And I have to understand the substance of what we're changing. And for us, that means legal writing. It's really an interdisciplinary job, and it's admittedly hard, but it's super fun for me. It's cool. You know, Ivy, sometimes uh, people know, listeners know, I get a little frustrated with how difficult it still is to explain technology, both old and new technology, and its benefits to to people in the legal profession. And to me, WordRick is one example. Uh, to me, that was like I didn't even have to think about the benefits of that when I 
first ran across it. The other thing I, I, I will say about you, and, and I'm on record, as you know, for saying that you explain the lawyer's ethical duty of technology competence better than anybody I've ever heard who presents on it. Oh, thank so you. Would you talk, would you talk uh, a bit about your approach to communicating with lawyers and others in the legal profession about technology and its benefits? Yes. So you've got to connect technology with substance and show how they support each other. They can't just be in different realms. And I think that believing that they're separate is what keeps people from changing. No one's going to change just for the heck of it. They have to see the value in that new proposed state, and they have to see a practical impact on their lives. So I show them that clear picture of how all the pieces work together, and I make it real. So instead of some abstract mythical thing that's 50 years away, I try to make it a now thing and a change that they can imagine happening to them and them wanting to happen tomorrow. So to f follow along with that, because change is a hard thing in my business, as well as getting lawyers to change on things. I remember, Ivy, that you and I spoke on a virtual panel, I think a few years ago, um, yes. on the duty of technology competence. I seem to remember that the kind of the vibe of the panel was that we were, I guess, simultaneously hopeful and skeptical of lawyers getting it together and really understanding it and, 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 and getting better about it. So fast forward a couple of years to where we are now. How do you view the, the, I'll call it the tech competence landscape? Are we getting better? Lori's getting better. Is it still stagnant? I hope we're not backsliding, but what are you seeing? It's pretty stagnant, which is really disappointing. Um, mm -hmm. People still don't know how to do basic things um, that have real world effects. They still don't know how to use simple things like Microsoft Word and Outlook properly. And pretty much every lawyer uses those. And on one hand, I blame the muddled messages for the lack of change. There are, of course, the people shouting about blockchain still and lawyers learning to code. And that's just jumping way too far ahead. And I think it's really missing the point. And then on the other hand, I think that, you know, things haven't changed enough because a lot of the people doing the talking, they don't connect with the people who are in the trenches doing this work every day. And to those people in the trenches, the work that they do has the appearance of working. It seems fine. So we have to do more than just promote our solution and tell people what they should do. We have to understand and help people understand what they're missing out on and make them want to move forward. And just a shiny feature list or, you know, directives handed down from above don't really do all of that. So for me, it goes back to connecting technology with substance and I'm trying to do more myself. So Ivy, you're in this strategy role and by coincidence, I'm actually taking a class uh, this summer on uh, strategy um, and designing strategy. So uh, I'm curious about what your approach to thinking about strategy and legal technology, I mean, sort of both in the profession and at WordRake, um, how you go, maybe talk about how you go about that. And then are there specific approaches or I guess like strategic thinkers that you, that you go to, or is it something that you kind of worked, have worked on and developed on your own? I think it'd be interesting to hear your perspective about kind of stepping back and take a, a strategic approach rather than a tactical approach to legal technology. So my approach is kind of boring, but it starts with really understanding the definition and recognizing what strategy is. It's not a goal. Most of the time when people say, oh, we've got this strategy, it's really just a goal. 
and the goal is make lots of money or be efficient. I was like, okay, that's not a goal. That's that or that, that's not a strategy. That's just a goal. So of course you're not going to get there. So strategy is how you get to those goals. And the key to it is alignment. And we have to align our everyday activities with our big picture action items with our goals. And if that action or that tactic isn't tied to the goal, then we shouldn't do it. And it doesn't matter if it's cheap or if it's easy or if it's the hot topic, it's not doing anything to advance you towards your goals, which means that it's not strategic. So what I do to make sure that I'm thinking strategically, and this is my own method, not from a class or anything, is I practice formulating questions where my goal is the answer or the solution to the problem. And I figure that if I can ask the question, then I can work backwards to figure out all of the steps and pain points that went into asking that question. And then I can create a plan that leads you there. So for example, if I want you to use WordRake, then I've got to get you to ask the question, how can I write better legal documents? But before you'd ever ask that question, then you've got to be convinced that good legal writing matters. So I consider it my job to lead you there. Now, here's another example that's like very tech competency. Um, if I want you to use the navigation pane in Word, which is my favorite tool ever, um, then I must get you to ask the question, how can I create and enforce a flexible digital outline in my documents? But no one's ever going to come up with that question on their own. So before you'd ever ask that question, you've got to be convinced that structural hierarchy in documents is important and that outlines are a great way to achieve that hierarchy. And that is, again, going, going back to my theme of today, which is tying a technical solution to a substantive goal. And here it's the navigation pane with substantive legal writing, and you get clarity from structural hierarchy. So for me, that's how you create a long-term change and you really align your goals with your activities. But I can see that with kind of with the average lawyer who just wants to open up Word and start working on a document, that can be a long haul to get to. I mean, that's where we want to, I think that we, that we want to get there, but that's, I suppose, that's, I'm, I'm, spe I'm preaching here to the choir, so I probably shouldn't. Well, no, we, we can enjoy that. I think that a lot of times tech creators, they are just like, my tool is so obvious. My solution is so obvious. Why do I have to convince you mm -hmm. of all of these other things? And then, of course, the tech fails and there's no adoption, there's no traction. And I'm dorky enough that I will sit around reading about structural hierarchy for <laughs> months so that I can write one blog post explaining to you why structural hierarchy matters and why the navigation pane will help you enforce that structural hierarchy. And my whole goal of that is because I want to be able to go to legal writing professors and say, you can teach these things in your classes and it isn't at cross purposes or taking away from your legal writing teaching. Instead, it's reinforcing your legal writing thinking and your legal writing teaching because you're scaffolding all of the different things in the tool that you're using right now. And I think that that is a compelling argument, but most people don't want to take the time to do it. Yeah, well, I will say you have now given me new inspiration to re-engage with the navigation pane. Um, so I'm going to take a look at that because that's something that is very much underutilized in my use of Word. So uh, I'm going to take a look at that. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, occasionally on this podcast, we 
sometimes tend to want to talk about collaboration, collaboration tools and technologies. And uh, because of that, we like to ask our guests about what collaboration tools they use. So what are some of your favorite ways to collaborate, whether you're collaborating with customers or with coworkers or other groups or just anybody? So I'm really boring, and I have to admit that I've tried using some other tools that other people laud as the most exciting collaboration tool, and I just can't get into them. Um, and I think part of it is that I'm an asynchronous collaborator. I want to work on my own schedule, and I think others do too. So for me, the goal is to make it easy to share information with other people so that it can be like a relay race where they pick it up and, and run with it. So I have to think about my thinking before I can hand it off to someone else. So I draw a lot of diagrams, usually abusing PowerPoint to do them. Um, and I write a lot of project briefs. And this sort of preparation forces me to get clear on what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, before I ask anyone else to do the work. That way, if they don't understand an explicit direction that I've given, they can kind of backfill that information because they understand my goals and objectives. And I think that care for others and about and making sure that they don't waste their time is an important part of collaboration, no matter what platform you're using. So diagrams, comments, track changes, screenshots with arrows, those are just really clear ways to make sure that another person knows what you're talking about so that you can collaborate effectively. And I don't care what tools you use to make those things happen as long as the other person gets the information. Oh, no question. I mean, that's one of our big themes is, is that it doesn't doesn't necessarily matter on the tool you're using as long as you don't as long as you if you do not have a good process for collaborating with people, if you don't have that in mind, uh, then there's there's not going to be a successful collaboration. So tool is uh, is not even an issue. So one of the things that I do when it's not clear that we're on the same page, I'll get on a screen share with people and I will open up PowerPoint and I'll start drawing and I will say is this what you're thinking? Is this how it works? Is this how the process fits together? Are these how the ideas overlap? And it immediately makes clear what I'm not understanding or what they maybe weren't clear on. And when I was setting up the, the Department of Commerce um, at the transition, this is one of the things that I did to gather all that information from the lifelong employees and set up the incoming commerce crew. And I, I had to understand their process. And so I would screen share and I'd draw it all out. And they were just like, no one's ever done this before. No one's ever said this before. <laughs> and now we actually understand the process better because we've seen it all on one page. Sort of amazing when people are introduced to the themes of collaboration. So, all right. Yes. We've got a lot more questions for Ivy Gray. Uh, but before we do that, let's take a break for a quick word from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, 
examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. And we are back with Ivy Gray, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at WordRake. Ivy, from your vantage point, and I'm sure that you're seeing a lot, what is happening right now in legal tech that's on your radar, that excites you and seems to have the most potential? And and I guess if you would, kind of talk about how those technologies might impact uh, legal education as well as law practice. So right now, what's exciting for me is that people actually seem to be examining their workflows in a way that I hadn't seen before. And they also seem to be willing to touch the sacred cow of legal writing in a way that I hadn't seen before. And I actually think that these changes are driven by ChatGPT. Um, People are trying to find ways to cram it into their process. And that makes them reevaluate their workflows when they never had done that before. And it also makes them open to thinking that there is something systematic about writing and that it's not just this untouchable art form. So I think with that, you're, you're getting a lot of exciting new changes and it's just much more open than it's ever been before. And I don't think any one legal tech specific product was going to capture the national attention in that way, or even the the global attention in that way to get people to think in this way. So it's generating conversation. That hadn't been there before. Well, let's continue that discussion a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, I think the hype cycle around AI and I guess uh, chat GPT has really been off the charts uh, in terms of technology. And uh, like I have said on multiple podcasts, I am always very surprised if we make it through this episode without Dennis touting some feature of chat GPT that he has been using. Um, given that WordRake is a writing tool, I am pretty sure you have thoughts about chat GPT and the role that it is currently playing and will continue to play in the law. Um, Where do you think this is all heading? So right now, I'm not sure that it's heading much of anywhere uh, because it's, for now, in in anywhere really quickly. So it's ChatGPT in its current iteration is still very general purpose and it still needs a lot of guardrails. And I think that's going to get better over the next few months or years, depending on how quickly we develop and where our data is. Um, so it's super useful for first drafts and like getting out of a rut of thinking, but I wouldn't just use the output, which is really in how people are imagining it. Um, because what I found, as you said, being a legal writing company, I've studied the writing and the writing is wordy, circuitous, redundant. And I've been trying to figure out where that comes from. Um, So I've gone back to the old junior high and high school composition playbooks and classes, and I've recognized the patterns in ChatGPT. So what it's doing is it's applying very rigorously these playbooks where you are creating this appearance of coherence based on words. So What it's really doing is providing what's called lexical cohesion, where you're using vocabulary and repeated words to make sure that they fit together. And 
ChatGPT has to do this because you're just predicting one word at a time. It's not a complete thought. And so when you look at it, it's like, wow, this totally makes sense. You're like, eh, but does it really? Once you start to get into it, you realize that it's really the same sentence five times in a paragraph, and it's really formulaic, and it's very much the type of writing that I was doing in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And for lawyers, we need to write better than that. Um, so I would say use ChatGPT as your first draft so that you're not staring at a blank page. And I'm an ethics person, so I'm going to add this caveat. Use generic placeholder names and generalize your requests. Don't give away the bank if you're going to use ChatGPT for a first draft. Um, and then after that, don't copy and paste what GPT spits out. Take the ideas and write in your own words so that you are still using your own voice and you aren't just transferring that repetition. And if you do copy and paste, then you're going to need an editing tool like WordRake to help you edit for clarity and brevity so that you sound like the sophisticated writer that you are. Um, so that's how I'd use it. And then um, in terms of what I'm seeing now that I'm actually kind of excited about with ChatGPT is um, LexisNexis is doing this cool thing where they're using ChatGPT to generate answers. And then they're also using their own older BERT-based tools to generate answers. And then they're comparing the quality of each of the answers and serving the user the best one. And cool. that <laughs> is super exciting. And I think that's really using data in the most powerful way and guardrails in the most powerful way. And whoever can do this the best, I think, is going to be the winner at when it all comes down to it. So I haven't seen the Lexus tool, but is it better at, maybe it's not doing this yet, maybe it's not this point yet, but I'm hoping it's better at returning accurate, ex actually existing citations than, than the lawyer who decided to pull completely bogus citations out of it and got sanctioned for it. You know, I was actually just reading the court transcript of that before I uh, got on the call with you. <laughs> uh, so, yes, it, it definitely does better and it, it generates <laughs> real cases uh, because it is confined to those cases. That said, if you're using a transformer tool like this at all, no matter how much data you have, if you are building on the data set, there's always going to be some risk of hallucination. So... There has to be some some way to compare your answer to some validated thing and then completely reject the hallucinated answer. Yeah, there's got to be a QC in there. Yeah, you yeah. have to have a lot of data to get to that point. Yeah, Tom has uh, forbidden me uh, from talking about chat GPT, but um, it's not true. I will interject something here i think it's it is in it's just the free space on the bingo card for us Dennis, <laughs> and it's always there, so. <laughs> but when i uh when i taught my class in ai and the law this last semester and we students we looked uh, a lot at it and how it would be used practically and what i'm intrigued by is there are these very definite constraints at the moment and there are some of these issues you know, like the the perfect citations and stuff that almost seems like it's too hard of a problem to ever solve. But when you work with those constraints, so if you say, 
you know, maybe it's okay for a first draft. I would say, well, what's really good is going to be an outline and other things like that that kind of get you get you off the ground because it gives you something that you can work with. And then I'm also intrigued when you mentioned Lexus. I think of uh, Thomson Reuters' uh, practical law that I, I think of using a GPT type of tool that's uh, use you know drawing from that practical law uh, material is is really interesting to me because it's not as much of a moving target as as case law is but enough of that i guess that when i talk to students about technology and they're trying to figure out what it is that they need to know as they go out into the world and especially new lawyers are also trying to say you know i went to my law firm and they're so far behind where i'm at at technology and i don't even know where to begin so what are the one or two technologies, and, and WordRec, I, I think, is legitimately uh, in contentions for this. Do you recommend that listeners really focus on um, and learn right now? And, and what, are, what are good ways to get started? Okay, so obviously I have to say WordRec because I love it. And it's the best tool for editing for clarity, brevity, and simplicity out there. But it works in Word. And so my big answer is Word. Learn to use Microsoft Office, especially Word and Outlook. Amen. It's where you work. It's practically where all technology is built from, and it's all built on these frameworks. And a lot of the same mouse gestures and the layering and the labels are going to transfer to any other tool that you have. So if you learn to use Microsoft Word, then you're going to have transferable skills. And if you learn to use Excel and PowerPoint, then all of those skills are going to transfer as well to Adobe and anything else. Um, because it's a systematic way of thinking. So if you learn to use the sophisticated tools in, in Microsoft Office, then you're going to start thinking about how you label things, what your structure is, what is this thing called, what task do you do first? And it will kind of constrain your thinking so that you become more systematic and and logical about what you do rather than just doing things in any order. So you'll better understand how you work now, which will make it easier for you to change how you work later. And I think that's really the key. It's not time wasted. Um, you're, you're always going to get some benefit from that. I'm always glad to have guests on our podcast to talk about technology because sometimes I worry that Dennis and I come across as the grumpy old men yelling, get off our technology lawn. Um, and when... I think when thinking about how far lawyers still have to go in working with technology. So I, I want you to help us get out of this rut, Ivy. Um, tell us <laughs> tell us what gives you optimism for the use of technology in the legal profession. And what are you seeing out there that gives you hope for the future despite what we are seeing? So I think that a lot of what held us back, besides the obsession with blockchain, is that we have had a lot of solutions in search of problems. And we're now starting to see more founder experts who have deep subject matter expertise and workflow expertise. And I think that they're bringing better solutions to the market. So for example, Jackie Schaefer from ClearBrief is all about how do you know what facts are? What is the provenance of those facts? Aaron Levine really understands the intricacies of how divorce works. Haley Altman with Doxley really understood the concept of closing folders and doing those huge transactions. And they brought that 
intelligent, deep subject matter expertise to the table and built tools around the workflows that people actually had to solve problems that people actually had. And it delivered real results and it led to great adoption. So for me, that makes me really hopeful to see women experts who are making tools that really serve our ecosystem and not just their egos. And it seems like there's more of that. And that gives me huge optimism optimism for the future of technology. All right. We've got a few more questions for Ivy, but let's uh, take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Bio Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. We are joined by our special guest, Ivy Gray, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at Wordrake. We have time for just a few more questions. Ivy, uh, we like to call these kind of our common fresh voices questions because we, we like the different answers we're getting from our different guests. So this is what I call our best advice question. And what is the best advice either that you've been given around legal technology or the best advice that you would like to leave our listeners with before you go? Or maybe both, if you want to do both. It's a little bit of both, and it's the same thing. Listen to your librarians, paralegals, and secretaries. They (laughs) know more about choosing and using technology than most other people because they zoom out and they can see how a lot of people work. They look beyond themselves, and they have this range of perspectives and professional longevity that will serve you well. So draw on it. And honestly, having my mother was a secretary, And she just knew so much and learning from her and learning those tools and giving me that deep understanding served me really well in practice. And it's serving me well in my alternate legal career. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've through my career, I learned so much from from paralegals. And there was an article came out today I I saw on, on Twitter where uh, people were suggesting that Chad GPT was going to replace paralegals. It's the most hilarious idea I've ever heard. It's like the one thing that I guarantee Chad GPT cannot do, and it would be like the dumbest thing to, to use it for. Paralegals are the backbone of a firm. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it would be terrible it, to get rid of that knowledge. They get the work it's, it's done. Like you, yes. 
it's like you don't even understand this business at all, uh, if, if that's your point of view. I, I, and my response was, I, I think the chat GPT will replace non-equity partners and uh, before it will even touch uh, paralegals. So I like to end with the fresh voices that, that you see. So uh, who, are, who are the fresh voices for you? Like who, who do you see sort of new in this area that has really fresh, interesting ideas that you've, you've come to rely on and want to, to read what they write and, and hear what they say? So my two fresh voices are Jack Shepard and Jennifer Marsh. So I'll go with Jennifer Marsh first because she is less known, which is just a shame. So she spent years building Bloomberg's Dockets tool and before that, she spent 10 to 15 years practicing law. So she's one of those rare breeds of lawyers who knows machine learning and natural language processing and data analytics in a really practical way. But somehow people think she's in marketing. And I just don't get that because it couldn't be further from the truth. So I'd like more people to pay attention to her as a fresh voice because her expertise is just so relevant right now. And I think that she's really underestimated what she, for what she can do. And someone who has those technical chops and that practice experience is just out of this world. Uh, and then the reason that I'm a huge fan of Jack Shepard from iManage is that he thinks deeply about workflow and he doesn't just insist that one way is the right way. And I think that the way he presents his solutions and, and raises his questions gets you to rethink what you thought you knew about how you were supposed to actually accomplish a legal task. And I love that. Well, Ivy, we really want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Can you tell us uh, where people can learn more about you, get in touch with you if they want to, uh, where do they go? Yes. So wordrake.com uh, is where I live and am easily found. And you can also email me at IVG, that's I's in igloo, V is in Victor, Y is in yellow, G, at wordrake.com. And I love hearing from people. Don't hesitate to reach out. Well, thank you so much, Ivy. You're, you were a fantastic guest with great information, great advice, and great insights for our listeners. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Ivy, take it away. All right. I can't resist, so I'm going to give two. One, navigation pain. Learn it, use it, love it. Uh, and two, it turns out that even lawyers hate legalese. So start using plain language and WordRate can help with that. Our new simplicity mode that we launched in October is here to help you and it will not change legally operative phrases. So get on that. Please use plain language. All right, my uh, parting shot is uh, we're at vacation season. If you are taking a vacation, if you are going somewhere outside of your office or your home network, please, please, please use a VPN. I hate that I have to keep saying this, but bring a VPN with you. Um, and we want to make sure that you're safe and secure. Uh, a lot of us uh, it may be going overseas where if we want to be able to watch Netflix or some of our favorite shows, we have to have a VPN. Whatever your reason is, if you are connecting to a network that is not your own and trusted, please make sure you bring a VPN. I'm not even going to talk about the tools. There are a lot of good VPNs out there. We can talk about them on another podcast. Just go get one and use one. Dennis. Well, believe it or not, Tom, I've had a lot of people lately tell me I need to share my really practical chat GPT tips. So one of them I have that I've been really playing with lately is this notion to say, 
if I have to write prompts in ChatGPT, how can I get good at that? Or do I even need to get good at that? And so um, one of the things you can do with ChatGPT is to kind of tell it what you want. And I think this is something that has, is going to have implications in access to justice space. But you can basically tell it what you want and then ask it, tell it to assume it's an expert in creating ChatGPT prompts and then have it generate uh, the prompt for you or have it generate four or five prompts and then choose the one that helps you. And then you get like a, an optimized prompt to use that will help you get results that you want. And uh, I've been playing with this and it's, it's really fascinating uses that you're sort of leveraging chat GPT to, to help you in a super simple, super practical way, which is what I'm all about when it comes to new technologies. Okay, so you said optimized prompt, and of course I thought Optimus Prime, which is perfect for a transformer. <laughs> so now, now I need a, a little metal, <laughs> a little metal toy called Optimized Prompt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, and that Dennis is a bingo for me. So thank you, uh, and that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. You can find all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts on the Legal Talk Network website. Be sure to uh, subscribe to us uh, at the Legal Talk Network site and your favorite podcast app uh, in iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn decreasingly on Twitter, or you can leave us a voicemail. Remember, we like to get uh, voice messages for our B segment. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please share the podcast with your networks and on social media. And as Tom said, subscribe to the podcast so it comes to you every time we release a new one. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.